1: Educational Hot <laughs> Here we go with the jokes <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a fire guy on today We do And Lee has been trying to come up with jokes about, <laughs> like, we have a hot topic
2: Yeah, we have a hot topic, it's it's a sizzling discussion today
1: We have a burning desire to share it with you
2: This guy's on fire Ooh, that might be over the line.
1: We have somebody with us today who is the fire doctor. Yeah, Dr. It's Matt. Dr. Matt, the fire doctor. Matt Hines Aldrich, Senior Risk Strategy Lead. Big title. At American Association of Insurance Services, AAIS, of whom Alacrity, our humble employer, is a, a member. and. Right. In working with Aais, uh, we floated the idea of having Matt join us, and he's here today to he share is. what it is he does.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be a great conversation. We're going to get to talk about what he does at the association, uh, but he he brings this this wealth of knowledge to the association all about fire. I mean he's he's trained in it. He actually got a PhD associated with it. He's been around it his whole career, and he gets to talk about how. The data that they collect helps set the price for policies. So I'm excited to talk to him, not only about the fire, but about the association as well.
1: Right. And so without further ado, let's go to our interview with Matt Heinz Aldrich, Senior Strategy Lead at AAIS. Hey everybody, we are here with our guest. We have him coming to us from the East Coast, From the right coast, I'm on the left coast. Is that right?
2: Well, I'm turned this way, so it's the opposite.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, it's very confusing. (laughs) Maybe we'll straighten that out, among other things. We have Matt Hines Aldrich, also known as Dr. Matt, also known as Matt. Yeah. From the American Association of Insurance Services, or AAIS, as our special guest today. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Matt.
0: Thanks, guys. Appreciate uh, the offer and the opportunity to be here.
1: So now everybody's confused about where you are and and, and where you <laughs> live. So why don't you tell us where you're coming from today?
0: Sure. So I, I live in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, but I've lived here, there and everywhere. I've only recently moved to uh, the Research Triangle. So The Research yeah. Triangle. Why is it called that? because there actually is a place uh, called the research triangle park it's right in between it's it's basically smack dab in the middle of raleigh durham and chapel hill and somebody had the bright idea i think it was like in the 60s or 70s and said well we have all this we have all this land why don't we try to encourage some the tech sector the kind of fledgling tech sector at the time to uh, give them a whole bunch of incentives to to come here and it, it Paid off handsomely and has really uh, transformed this whole region. And how long have you been there? Uh, since July. Okay, so, so. so I've obviously been reading the uh, uh, the tourism board here, oh, that's uh, right. the that's like you've been all, all, of those, all those bulletins. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a font of useless knowledge, so uh, uh, <laughs> so yeah. Let's jump in and talk about what the heck it is you do
1: because you do some really interesting stuff, and both Lee and I have a lot of questions about what you do and how you got there. But let's start by by telling us what AAIS is and then tell us about what you do there.
0: Preface it to say I've, I've been here for 18 months and it's my first foray into the insurance industry. So I actually find myself explaining to people a lot because many of my professional uh, network is outside the insurance industry. So I found myself trying to explain what AIS is uh, quite a bit. And so this is kind of what I've more or less settled on. We're a, uh, a not-for-profit uh, insurance advisory organization. We're also a national organization um, that serves the insurance industry. And so we don't actually write insurance. We don't, we're don't. we not a broker. We're not a reinsurer. Uh, and we're not really a traditional insure tech either. But we serve insurance companies. We're a membership organizations. So we have a somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 uh, insurance companies and carriers that are members. And they utilize our our services and they become members to basically adopt uh, our model forms, uh, which have already been kind of approved by that. We've gone through the whole approval process for the various states. We also gather a tremendous amount of um, carrier experience data and their kind of premium data. And so we, we, we take that information in, uh, and and report it on their behalf. And we also use that for kind of all of our actuarial stuff. So that's kind of the, the short version. Uh, as I was explaining it to a family member about a year ago, and, and they didn't have a whole lot of insurance background. And they said, so it's basically an ins- like you guys are like an insurance company in a box. I was like, well, that's a good way to, that's one way to put it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're... Uh, so we're not an agency, we're not a traditional insurance organization. And the thing I think catches a lot of people off guard is they're like, wait, you're not for profit in the insurance industry. Yeah. Well, I know <laughs> some people think that's a bit of an oxymoron, but I think it's, it kind is. Of, it's, it serves our, it serves our mission pretty well.
2: Okay. So you were talking about data, you were talking about that, that you collect all this data. What are some mm-hmm. examples of the data you, you collect and how would somebody use it?
0: Uh, sure. So we get, have a lot of information about all the uh, exposures that uh, carriers would have. And so the, we don't have data from every single insurance company, uh, but we do have it from our uh, majority of our members. And so they would share that information with us and, and sometimes um, their claims experience data. And so we would use that. Now, the, the key thing is that uh, almost in, implicit in your question is kind is of like, oh, well, or I can imagine a whole lot of people would say, ooh perfect. How do I get access to some of that? And uh, which is a great way of segueing into saying that we can't actually share a lot of that data. We we uh, use that to um, to kind of for all of our actuarial analyses. We can come back to this, but there's a big, um, one of the conversations we have quite a bit is around wildfire losses. And it'd be really great, for example, if we could have a lot of data about uh, um, all these losses, so we could actually uh, help answer some of the big existential questions in the wildfire space. But in the traditional way, there's some limitations. There's a lot of limitations on what we could actually do with that data. So we're developing some new technology, but that's, we'll, we'll save that for later, either a later conversation or a whole other conversation. You have a interesting job at AAIS, mm-hmm. and tell us what that is. Sure. So as I mentioned, I've only been with AIS and only in the insurance industry for 18 months. So I, I have a more I come from more of the fire protection space. And uh, so I was brought on um, to kind of lead a lot of our initiatives and efforts around um, trying to modernize how we as an insurance organization look at uh, fire apparel. And that fire apparel being both kind of structure fires, kind of more, you might think of the more bread and butter uh, fire losses and also uh, wildfire apparel. And so um, one of the functions, uh, one of the legal functions of an insurance advisor organization is to uh, develop rating approaches for um, public fire protection. And so uh, we've been working on building a, a new approach from the ground up. And so I was brought on uh, to help kind of lead that effort. And, and with that, there's also a lot of, uh, we're trying to build a lot of relationships with the um, and kind of crossover, if you will, between the way the insurance industry looks at the fire problem and the way the fire protection industry looks at the fire problem.
1: What is the fire protection industry? What do you mean by that?
0: So I, do, I deliberately use that kind of vague term because it's, uh, it's actually, it worked on me by the way. You know, perfect. Um, <laughs> uh, really like uh, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a loose amalgam of a bunch of different um uh, frankly, different industries. So they have the, the fire service and the fire service itself is a pretty um, nebulous term as well. So you have local fire departments and municipal municipal fire departments. So like, you know, the, the fire department and the fire station down the street from wherever you live. And then you also have wildfire uh, specific uh, organizations and agencies and state and federal uh, departments. Um, and so uh, the fire service is kind of a, A uh, a lot of a lot of cats that um, sometimes can be herded in a generally consistent direction, but they're they kind of all do their own thing. Uh, But then it also the other reason I bring use that term fire protection kind of industry is there's also a huge obviously the sprinkler industry uh, Mm -hmm. and all the work around designing, installing, inspecting. Certifying and what have you—all those—that's huge, huge. Oh, exactly. It's, it's billions of dollars a year. But, it, it, but it's right. one of those that the fire, like the firefighter down the street at the local fire station, and the the engineer who designed and built the the fire protection system in some you know major warehouse—they're both interested in fire, but they come at it from a very, very different you know, um, experience and perspective and worldview and everything. So. So that's why I use that kind of broad term because if there's a lot of different folks in the fire world.
2: Yeah, that makes total sense. So there within the association is your job to really help the insurers obtain the right premium for a loss when, before a fire happens, or is it to help them insure houses that won't catch on fire? What are you really helping insurers with when it comes to the fire?
0: So it's, it's kind of the, I guess the would be the former. So uh, we're, cause our, and so I actually work for an actuary and I work in our actuarial services group, which is really ironic. Cause I, I was really good at math up until third grade. And then they like <laughs> start then they start putting letters in it and it just been downhill ever since then. Yeah, um, but letters I, never anticip- math. I, I, exactly, I never anticipated working for an actuary, but, uh, I can, as an aside, actuaries are some really funny people. Uh, they have a <laughs> great, they have a great sense of humor, which you, they may not have had a professional reputation for, but I digress. um, <laughs> um but uh so so our role is to it's basically creating uh loss cost which is a very technical term for basically figuring out in a particular whether zip code or or territory what have you what is the expected amount of loss uh, that could occur for whatever particular peril they're looking at you know auto or or homeowners or dwelling properties or farms or whatever and then basically figuring out what is the break-even point how do you like for an amount of uh, kind of, for example, $100 of premium, how much loss would they anticipate? And so that's, again, going back to our whole thing because we're not actually an insurance company, we do all of this on a break-even basis. Now, insurance companies obviously don't want to break even. They wanna you know, have a little bit of profit margin in there. Yeah, um, yeah. But but our role is to really figure out across the country for all the various perils, all the various things, What is, how much money do you need to take in premium to basically break even? And then they can, they can put their profit margin in down the road, but, um, but that's really our goal and a big part of that. And and where, as it relates to fire is in terms of that kind of, um, actuarial and underwriting uh, process and all the kind of, um, all those complex formulas, um, where does that, what does fire protection look like and how does that have an impact on losses?
1: So how do you get into something like this? I mean, walk us through the journey about how you get to be a PhD, more or less in fire, right? I mean, you're, you're the fire doctor and, and I just think that's so interesting how you get a, a PhD with a focus in fire service culture.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, if there is kind of like a, a guidebook on like, here's the traditional way of, ha- of kind of charting a career. I never, I never read it. I can assure you. Um, <laughs> I, d- I definitely kind of uh, um, I charted my own course for better or for worse. And, uh, and it, it followed a lot of tangents, but I think it have it brought me to a kind of interesting and kind of eclectic background. So um, yeah, so I, in fact, wasn't, uh, I mean, as a, as a child, like, you know, I, I guess I, I guess there was probably a phase. I remember having a fire helmet for a while. So I guess there was a phase where I thought about being a firefighter, but that was never really my, um, never really my overarching kind of like one career aspiration. I, uh, um, if anything, actually my I've kind of extended family and, in, in, uh, criminal, like in, in policing. And so I kind of so some of the ways thought I might go down that path, um, but I actually got involved in fire investigation in uh, in college and, and went to a school that had a really good fire investigation program. I'm like, "Ooh, this is really interesting." I'm like, "It's it's a different type of looking at uh, cr- criminal investigation and and like scientific investigation," and and so kind of that was that was the kind of direction I was going for a while and thought I was going to go there. Then I had an opportunity to do two things. Um, one had an opportunity very young to teach a collegiate class. I was like, I was maybe three years older than some of the students. Um, and, and I was like, Ooh, I actually really enjoy teaching. And so I kind of caught the bug there. And I also was doing at the same time was doing a whole lot of research, um, on the fire problem from a kind of an academic standpoint. And so I kind of kept going academically. So I was a, um, so I was a firefighter for a while. I realized that that was probably not my. Um, the, the so you've done it. You've you've. I was. You've, yeah, yeah. You've done the work. I have. Yeah, oh. but I also realized very quickly um, that I was going to be the world's worst rookie, um, and so the fire service. Well, yeah. So the the fire service there can it tends to be pretty hierarchical, and there's a. Uh, um, there's kind of like a very kind of militaristic man structure, if you will, and those at the bottom do the work. Those at the bottom don't ask questions. Those at the bottom don't actually put any thought into what they were told to do, they just do it. And I, I, so my joke is that I was kind of, I knew I was gonna be the world's worst rookie when they were like, oh, we need to clean the toilets. I'm like, well, you know, there's. I was you know, waiting for that. <laughs> you know, there's a better way we could do this, and uh, uh, I realized very quickly that that was not going to be appreciated, and maybe my skill sets would be better utilized elsewhere. Yeah, and so uh, while I very much enjoyed uh, being a firefighter at the time, and actually, ironically, just recently uh, got involved with a new fire department. Um, there you go. I, I kind of missed it, actually, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, I've kind of gone down random paths and then kind of where i thought i was gonna go and then all of a sudden the door opened and I'm like oh that's interesting let's go down that direction and so um and so i have this kind of eclectic background where there's some some research like a, a fair bit of research a fair bit of teaching a fair bit of kind of um almost like a consultant for a fire department that was I, I did a job like that for a while, and then I've more more recently got into really the the data space, and have kind of it's funny now I'm referred to as fire data guy, and which is ironic because yeah. again my my earlier joke yeah. about my my math skills that's really interests us about
1: the data part. Yeah, so much of insure tech today revolves around data and and sure. utilizing and capturing data that that maybe hasn't been available before or capturable before, or being able to be analyzed in a particular way that that is um, novel. And sure. so give us a little bit about the data work that you guys are doing and why that's important.
0: Sure. On your earlier point, the kind of um, proliferation of, of kind of insure text have all started with the premise of like, There are, or let's try to find really great data sources, then we can figure out ways to better utilize them. And so you kind of come into it with a a perspective of like, data is valuable. Let's figure out how to, you know, extract value from that. Right. Um, The most of my work has been on the other end of that, which is, so when i worked for so for example i worked for atlanta fire rescue for several years uh, and uh, a lot of the work there was on the, the front end the data creation so we had firefighters who were who never had any interest and certainly didn't get hired for their data entry skills. Yeah. I mean, they're firemen. Come on, Exactly. Um, although a lot of fire ladies as well. Um, fire but... fire people. <laughs> exactly. Fair. Good point. So really was a lot of it was focused on the people actually entering the data had the least to gain out of it. It was, it was frankly, it was just a menial task. And in fact, actually we had a, uh, we had a data analyst that we had hired who had come from, you know, financial sector. And he was getting really, really frustrated with the incessantly bad data, like the, the data quality issues. And just a little quick story on that is we had him, uh, we had all of the new people spend a 24-hour shift in one of the fire stations. So they could kind of like understand the other part of it. And he came back yeah. and he's like, I get it now. He said, I literally watched a guy hold his eyes open at three o'clock in the morning after coming back from a run, like, and like type with one finger, trying to fill out the report while swearing because the computer kept locking up on him. Oh my and, gosh. And uh, he's like, I, now I understand for one, why they don't care. Like why they like, you know, we'll just put in a report with complete nonsense sometimes. But so anyway, so there's a lot that I've done a lot of work on trying to figure out how do we get those, departments that are creating the, the data. Now, obviously, um, that's just one of millions of sources of data, but trying to get them to understand um, the value creation or the kind of the, the value life cycle of data. And so and in some cases, frankly, just to, to finish that point, is that getting those fire departments to start utilizing their own data. So, fire departments ask me all the time oh how do i like improve my fire data um, my answer is always do something with it they're like what do you mean like what, what should we do <laughs> i'm like i'm like try to do anything yeah i was like that will answer the, that will answer three major questions can you get the data out of the systems you entered it into Two is it useful data that's actually uh, relevant to anything you actually are trying to do? And three, is the data quality actually something that you like that you can rely upon? The answer to most of those three is is in many cases is, is no so um, so yeah so that's I've been focused a lot of on that end, uh, particularly in the fire space and now now working on the other end of the life cycle of fire data from uh, in the insurance side.
1: It's interesting to me and one of the things, when we talk about fire today in the news is what's going on in Eastern Europe, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's super typical to, when you see the news about the Ukraine, that you see a fire, a building burning. And you see these fire service people fighting a fire in the middle of a war. It's, mm-hmm. in, it's incredible. Any comments on that or thoughts on that? Are you learning anything from that or deriving any data from that? I mean, I mean, the service that those people are showing is amazing. Right. Because I know where I would be. I would be, you know. A long way
0: away. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, no. I mean, um, I have not been thinking about it in the data context. I'm a news junkie if there ever was one. And so uh, um the big question mark and the big concern, a lot of is there's some really significant wildfires in the area of Chernobyl. You know, minor, um, minor, like if you kind of game it out, minor problems of that um, wildfires can. Can, take air, can basically aerosolize all kinds of uh, radioactive material and put it into the atmosphere. So yeah, no, not nothing possible to like, worry, worry about there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a major issue. And there's also um, a lot of efforts, um, I mean, specifically speaking of the Ukraine situation, a lot of efforts of um, the fire service kind of banding together and trying to provide resources. Obviously, there's, um, I mean, in some cases, I'm, I believe some of their uh, equipment has, uh, has sustained damage or, or, or damage or, or they certainly don't have a, a supply chain to be able to fix things at the moment. And so there's been a lot of, in fact, there was a, a convoy that started in England and kind of gathered vehicles kind of as they went across of taking surplus old fire trucks and basically bringing them. And I think they kind of um, put that or got them to uh, some place in Poland and basically staged them there to mm-hmm. provide... To provide, like, a basically a well, wow. if, if your truck gets damaged for whatever mm-hmm. reason, there's some other spares around the corner. Cool. So,
2: so yeah, that's awesome. I always hear about how these wildfires, especially in California, are getting so much worse. They're happening so much more. Is that true? That the does the data back up that we have more fires, or is it that we just have more houses? To your last point about do we just have
0: more houses? I do believe that we have um, more and fi- it, it's, it's actually, it depends on how far back you look at for one. Oh, okay. um, and this is actually, that is part and parcel of the problem, but like, not to get too far into the wildfire history. One of our big problems is we actually excluded wildfires. And this is the, one of their key considerations now is that uh, uh, wildfires have always been a phenomenon in every continent in the, in the world, except for Antarctica. And there's a great, fire, a great historian um, who, who actually has looked at fire in every, every, each of the continents. But, and he also looked at, did a history of Antarctica, the only one that's never had fires. But, huh. uh, um, but the point there is that wildfires are normal. Wildfires are necessary. Wildfires are a, a, a kind of a key part of the ecosystem what is not part of this equation and what has become a part of this equation is what happens if you plunk a house down in the middle of a place that historically would burn at some sort of yeah, sort of regular cadence. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's, it's becoming well established. It's not even, it used to be presented as kind of a, kind of like, well, this is a, a, a controversial topic. It's not even being presented at that anymore. That it's, be, it's basically established science that, um, that kind of historical fire regimes where fires would occur frequently, um, and then they would kind of burn themselves out. And, uh, and a key part of that was actually um, that actually forest, um, like the, the tree density was a lot, uh, a lot less actually historically. Once we did a really good job of putting out fires, and that really particularly started in the 1930s, what we got really good at putting out fires and in doing so, we created a situation where there was a lot more fuel. And so when a fire does occur, it tends to be far more dramatic and uh, and far more devastating, both to like losing property, but the other thing is also becomes far more damaging to the, the ecosystem. So again, not to get too far into the science of it, but if you have more, more frequent but smaller fires that come through a forest, the forest can usually rehabilitate itself. It's just, in fact, some of the forests actually require that for their, their kind of ecology.
1: There's, a, uh, there's a, a, um, an ecological system called chaparral,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: you are probably a, a familiar with. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, and in Southern California is a chaparral area. And sure. chaparral needs fire yeah, to be healthy and to take care of itself. Of course, nobody living in Southern California needs a fire. And so exactly. th- there's a direct conflict.
0: Exactly, and so now that I live in North Carolina, um, the southern pine forest, and and also you find the same pine forest in in like parts of like New Jersey as well. Their pine cones don't actually open up until they're uh, have been exposed to fire, and so yeah, the, these the ecosystem fire is a normal part of the ecosystem. Putting houses in the, it, it's not. A, this is brings where it kind of comes back to well. We're not going to get rid of houses we're not going to get rid of people so how do we uh, how do we live with fire so there's a whole big debate about bringing back historical fire practices like bringing back like you prescribe burning and, and more indigenous practices but obviously th- there's a major issue a nimby issue with if my neighbor said you know like i'm going to set a big fire in my backyard to get rid of all the brush I'm like, eh, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that because what happens if it goes wrong? And so we kind of just have this like cold war where he doesn't set a fire in his backyard, I don't set a fire in my backyard. And we, uh, <laughs> and then consequently, we, don't, we, we have more and more brush. And so that's where this big debate and the big effort is going on in California to how do we really start aggressively dealing with fuel mitigation, fuel treatment? And in the problem and the real opportunity and the real focus is around is fuel mitigation around where people live. Sure. And it's really the, like there was some research that just came out that actually said that um, the, the vast majority of, of uh, fires that burn uh, property don't actually start in the national forest and they're like this, the federally managed forest. They typically start in either um, in kind of around communities or, or areas in close proximity to where uh, people live. And so that's really the, because um, much of the debate has been, oh, we just need to, you know, change our our forestry practices. We need to change kind of legislation around logging and all kinds of stuff. But that is, that's an important part of the dialogue, but it's not going to solve the problem.
1: And it has such a significant effect here in I'm California, sure. where I mentioned that I live and mm-hmm. on, on our insurance rates. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's. Because and plus the state government hasn't helped that because they mandate, I believe that in order to write in California to write a homeowners policy here you have to offer it broadly. You can't redline out areas where we we want this area we don't want that area because it's a wildfire area, and so yeah, it's expensive issue
0: sure so i'm going to step around uh, slightly around that hand grenade um and uh um, but but uh, i mean it, it is it is insanely political and and at the end of the day, there are a substantial number of, of homeowners and, and business owners and what have you that are struggling to find any sort of insurance for their properties. And if you can't get insurance, you can't uh, um, have a you mortgage. Get a mortgage. And, mm-hmm. if, and, and if you're trying to sell a home that can't get insurance on it, the people buying it are not going to be able to get a effectively like backed mortgage. And so it really like, so it has dramatic effects. And it is certainly it's complex, and I, obviously there's a lot of nuance to it, and I, don't, I want to be very careful to, for one, to, you know, I enjoy my job. But, uh, but I, what, I, what I will say is that, um, I mean, it is already at crisis, um, uh, kind of crisis proportions, and definitely is something that eludes simple solutions. If it was just simply, we'll just do X and we'll solve the problem, we would have long ago done it. It's a multi multi-faceted issue. But, but to your point, though, the California Department of Insurance, and, and particularly the insurance commissioner, has taken a really active role um, in terms of trying to address the wildfire problem, because there are homeowners who are, are really in a pinch. They cannot get insurance. There, um, there are um, a lot of other things going on, and and there are... Um, and there's a lot of regulation in terms of, um, in in terms of where insurance practices and, and, um, obviously the term redlining is, has just a tremendous amount of meaning and historical context. Mm -hmm. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure this is the correct use of the word redlining. There is definitely, um, there, there has been regulation around non-renewals and there's been a lot of work that California department has done, uh, trying to address and, um, and taking and trying to ensure that again, uh, they have an important role to play in terms of balancing. How do we make sure that insurers? Like, I mean, there there is a real concern um, that insurers could go bankrupt. We've seen this in uh, we've seen this in in other. Uh, perils like, uh, uh, like hurricane in, in places like Florida and, and and Louisiana and other places that have been like absolutely decimated by hurricanes, and there's a real, uh, so the insurance commission has a, or insurance department has a real important role to play to make sure for one, that they're financially healthy, but also they're a consumer advocate. And so they have an important role to make sure that, well, they, they need to make sure obviously that the insurance companies are making enough money to cover their losses, at the same time, they also need to make sure that, um, that, that there is access to insurance because having whole counties or whole zip codes where people cannot get insurance other than the fair plan, which is the kind of insurer last resort, um, that doesn't serve the interest of the homeowners. Doesn't, frankly, doesn't ensure, ensure the inter, uh, interest of anybody. And so,
1: so the, um, are, are you guys then, and, and we'll, We'll head towards the the exits here. Are you guys kind of a bridge or a
0: liaison between DOIs and the carrier world? We do uh, interface directly with those various parties. The term liaison can kind of get have multiple meanings, but yeah. but we do have a important role to play in 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 kind of ensuring that our products and the in the kind of the um, there's a there's a delicate balance here. But the 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 I, so I know we're wrapping up, and the the real key point I wanted to kind of take away which I think it's really germane to the kind of um, the really the wildfire topic is that. Going back to this stuff of how do we reduce the likelihood of a home burning? There is a tremendous amount. And this goes back to what also what the Department of Insurance in California has been trying to push. And frankly, the legislature, the kind of assembly in California has been doing is is trying to figure out a way to encourage and incentivize mitigation efforts. And the key thing here, and this is the point I really want to hammer home at the end, is that. There are a tremendous amount of mitigation efforts that are going on, whether it's being done by local fire departments. In California, they have obviously Cal Fire, which is a, um, a separate entity um, that also does local fire uh, protection. And then you also have like local, local homeowners associations, what they call um, the uh, fire safe councils, um, fire wise communities. There's just a tremendous amount of effort already going on as we speak. And it's been going on for years. The key part, and and also now they have a tremendous amount of funding that just was approved by the California State Assembly, like I think it was a billion dollars or more for, for all this mitigation. The key part, though, is that data is not collected in a standardized, uniform way across the industry. And more importantly, none of that data is is widely available to insurers. So to your point. So all these homeowners that are struggling with uh, accessing their insurance, and I was just I was just actually in California last week presenting at a, a fire kind of conference to fire marshals. And I had numerous fire marshals come up in, in my, during my presentation and afterwards and say, we have homeowners regularly coming up and, and calling us and saying, your uh, wildfire inspectors were at my property two weeks ago. They gave me a clean bill of health. They gave me, said, oh, you need to do X, Y, and Z. We did it. They said, yep, looks great. You did a great job. Here's the, like, here's a little, you know, you passed you pass the test. And then a week later, they they get a, a non-renewal from their insurance company. And they're like, what the heck? They're like, we did what you said. And now my insurance company um, just chose to non-renew me because uh, we're in a kind of high wildfire area. And part of that is because the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. This is where it all comes full circle. The fire world is doing a lot of this work already. And there's certainly, they can potentially be doing more, but there's already a tremendous amount of effort going on in communities across the country, and particularly in California. But that information is not collected in a standardized, useful Consistent way, and more importantly, it doesn't actually get to the insurance company. So they they're just assuming, unless they're told otherwise by their own people, they're assuming that you know these are like that all homes are the, exactly the same, and they are all have the similar exposure. And and that's uh, and so they're doing they're kind of in many cases the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, and and it's really disadvantaging the, the people who are struggling to get insurance. Disadvantaging the fire departments who are spending a tremendous amount of budget doing all this work and get like, it's for nothing. I mean, obviously it's the right thing to do and it's what they should be doing and what they want to be doing, but they're not like they're, that. There's no recognition in some cases uh, of that work. And so that's really where I see a great opportunity. And I think that's also in some ways where some of the, the kind of my various weird eclectic background comes to play where, that is, is really trying to figure out how do we break down those barriers and how do we get that information in a usable way to the decision makers to help help address this problem, which is not going to go away on its own.
2: Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, your your association's out there doing so much for so many people, really helping build this bridge over this gap. I think it's great. So, so
1: much here and so much to talk about. I mean, it, it goes on and on, but I'm glad that you made a point to talk about of the amount of work that is going on and uh, good luck in corralling it all sure. and, and making it vital part of the equation. We really thank you very much for being here today and look forward to seeing you in Raleigh sometime. Yeah. yeah. We thank you for being with us and uh, let's have you back sometime soon.
2: Great. Thanks for the invitation. Appreciate it. Thank you, Matt.
1: So our company, Alacrity, recently became members of AAIS, and we're finding our way around it. It's a very interesting organization, and we wanted to have a a guest on, and Matt was a a great place to start.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's a very interesting market that he's in, fires or something that all insurance is associated with, especially on the property side, right? And right. so it, it seems like they've brought in somebody with this world of knowledge.
1: And plus, I mean, truth be told, if I could play with fire all day, I, you know, that'd be kind of fun.
2: Yeah. I don't, so, I don't think he actually ever does anything he, with you fire. Don't think
1: he, you don't think he actually plays with fire? No. I bet I, he does. He didn't, he held it. He held out on that.
2: Part. He may, but I, I think he's, no, I, I don't think so.
1: Well, we appreciate having Matt with us today and we appreciate AIS a lot for helping us to get him. And Uh, We thank all you for being with us. And as Lee Boyd says, every time we're done.
2: Goodbye, everybody.